Hi, I'm Ray uh, from Insert Quest here. My pronouns are she, her, and today I'm interviewing uh, Ashton McCallum, an RPG designer and Twitch streamer. Uh, Ashton, what are your pronouns? My pronouns are she, her. Wonderful. And Ashton, where might people know you from? What sort of, what stuff have you done before? Oh, I've done lots of fancy things. Um, as you said, I'm a, I'm a role-playing game designer and a Twitch streamer, so people might know me from either of those things. Um, I also yell about role-playing games a bunch on, on, the, on the Twitter, um, so people might have, have heard me from there. But yeah, I, um, I primarily consider myself a, a game designer, and then I have ended up doing Twitch streaming as kind of a result of that, I set up my Twitch stream, uh, my Twitch channel originally to um, to create a space where I could uh, play test my own play test my own role playing games and like get feedback from both myself and from people watching, uh, both the people in the game and people watching. And then it took a good six months before I had the nerve to actually play any of my own games. Uh, I just played a bunch of like. Apocalypse, we played Apocalypse World, we played Dungeon World, all those sorts of things. We played a lot of different games. Um, and we ended up creating this really nice uh, space um, that, you know, talks about uh, where we talk about good uh, safety practices in role-playing games and we, and we demonstrate those. Um, and we also make sure that um, we are creating a diverse uh, role-playing space um, on that Twitch stream, which is really nice. Um, I, ha- I have a rule that I... I, I I try to make sure that there's never more than one like straight white able, uh, abled uh, cis guy on the screen at any one point in time because every other show is allowed to have as many as they like. So I, it, 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 I've got a limit of one. Your token white yeah, the, male cis guy. Yeah, token white, white male. Cis yeah. Guy. yeah, exactly. Uh, yeah, wonderful. It's, uh, the, 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 the token, the token like video game Steve. hero. The token. Yeah, the token Steve. Yeah, yeah. The token Josh might yeah. also. Yeah, what's the um, the token the token Dave? Yeah, that's the, that's the thing in tech where where uh, are there more Daves in the room than women? Right, yeah, because you have a tech background, don't you? Is my understanding? Yeah, I, I, I did, um, I did IT at university. So um, I originally got into game design through digital games. Um, so we made a game called uh, Amygdala, um, which is a game where you play as a disembodied head and shoot uh, and shoot mind bullets and poop bricks and try and sh- hunt down the wizard that stole your body. It's, uh, pretty it's a normal. Like, a pretty normal game, right? Um, it, yeah, we, yeah, we we got it onto Steam, nice. uh, and then uh, we ran into like all sorts of uh, like performance issues because I'm not actually a very good programmer. <laughs> Turns out, <laughs> um, and writing role playing games is a lot easier than like program programming video games. So. Hey. Then you just have to worry about how your code's going to run on the human mind, I guess. That's the thing, right? Like, the, the hottest thing about role-playing games is, like, everyone's like, oh, like, when you're writing writing video games, it takes so long to implement stuff, right? And it's like, yes, but when you're making role-playing games, it's so easy to implement something, right? You just write it down as text. And then you have to test it. And that takes kind of minimum 16 person hours, 
right? Like you need kind of four people for four hours to really get a sense of whether or not this new mechanic that you, this one sentence that you've changed is make, is working or not. And you're like, ah, I see. We've spent, we've now had four people spend four hours playing this. I've discovered that this sentence change does not work. Excellent. Back to the drawing board. Um, so I, I have this thing where like, I think I've got like one or two games that I call finished and the rest of them are all just continually like, like early listed as early access, um, which was like a thing from video games as well, right? Like the thing of, Hey, this isn't finished yet, but if you want to play it, you're welcome to, you're welcome to like buy it for cheaper while it's still being built. Um, so like, yeah, of my games that I've, Put out there it's the really shitty small ones that i don't care about that i'm like yeah that's finished i don't care about that anymore whatever all of the ones that i that i actually give that i actually um can i swear that yeah, a, you, yeah that's fine okay all right the all ones that i actually give a shit about um are still all in early access until i'm probably until i'm i die i don't know um they'll probably get to a point where someone's like, Hey, can we print a book of this? And I'll be like, okay, it's not early access anymore. Um, (laughs) There's a physical copy somewhere. Yeah, exactly. Yep. And then I'll be like, but here's the patch notes. And here's the other things that I've changed because we played it again. And I, I had another thought. I don't, I genuinely don't know how someone like, uh, like how a game, like say, uh, you know, like big chunky books, um, like uh, Blades in the Dark, for instance. I'm, I keep I've been looking at that recent a lot recently because mm-hmm. it's the basis for a lot of uh, I'm I'm hacking on it a lot. As you say, you're working on it on a few fronts at the moment, aren't you? Yeah, yeah, I am. Gosh, um, it was that it's that weird thing where like a, like a few years ago, everything I was doing was was powered by the apocalypse, and now everything I'm doing is is forged in the dark um, because. Um, and, and, and like, that's kind of an evolution, not a change um, in that you're just like, because Forged in the Dark, games based on, um, on Blades in the Dark are inherently kind of powered by the apocalypse anyway. Um, because I would, about the I would say that Forged in the Dark games are a bit more mechanical than powered by the Oh, apocalypse. yes, certainly. I think, that, I think the thing that, that Blades in the Dark does amazingly um, and the, I, in the, in the games that I write, uh, I actually like dial back off because it, because it does it kind of too well, too much. Um, Forged in the Dark brings crunch to fiction first gaming, mm. um, where there wasn't previous, like previously, like previously crunch as a, uh, as a thing was like kind of left to the kinds of games that had like a whole other minis game uh, for combat right mm-hmm. like you, you're playing you're playing dungeons and dragons you're doing role playing you're putting in your city bard voice and then you switch into the other game where you're where suddenly you're, you're, yeah, doing the dungeon your mini figures and you're you're moving in five foot squares and those sorts of things um and you you're in this other game and that's where all the crunch is it's not actually in the role playing game mm. whereas yeah blades in the dark absolutely brings like yeah a level of crunchiness to the and a level of like mechanical depth to uh fiction first gaming that uh really has made a massive difference to the way that we we engage with both as like players and gms but also as writers as the way that we engage with that stuff with with play yeah, um, definitely 
and so it's is that it's really interesting seeing like the kinds of games I write. I often have to take a couple of layers of that crunch back off the system because my games are so often very a bit more gonzo, a bit more colorful, and not as much uh, it's not as much attention paid to those details. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, the games I write often move very quickly when you're playing them and things like that. And you're like, oh, okay. We're... I mean, when we were playtesting In Which We Live and Breathe, um, which is my cyberpunk fantasy game, uh, it was it, we were doing the final episode for a, for a series and we went from like zero to someone jumping out of a building and like have it and like fighting a dragon in the air in like no seconds. And it was like, oh, okay, great. Like now I have to work out like what this means and all of these sorts of things. And if I have to go through and do the crunch for that, it's not going to work. So um, it's definitely um, like in which we live and breathe is like shadow run style, style play. Um, so we, so it's, dragons and robots and internet hacking and casting spells and all of those sorts of things. So very, very gonzo. And then down like the other end, we've got like the Republic, which is like, which is actually the first game of yours I ever heard about before I even knew who you were. Yeah. Oh, well, I was incredibly lucky with the, with the Republic um, because that was actually the first game where I was like, Oh, okay. Like I'm a game designer now. Um, because like I had written, uh, I've written a bunch of like, um, Dungeons and Dragons fifth edition content. Um, and some of that's up on like DMs Guild and things like that, where it's like, okay, this is a finished product and an actual like thing you can go and bolt onto your game. Um, but I had never written like a game. And so, um, I cannot for the life of me remember what year it was. It might've been 2015. 2016, something like that. Might have been 2015, I reckon. Paul Zieger, um, who wrote um, My Life with Master and uh, The Clay That Woke and things like that, ran a, comp- ran a competition, quote-unquote, called Three Forged. Um, so it, the idea was that each person in this competition would write the first, would, would write a 1,000 words or less bare-bones, like, skeleton of a game. Mm-hmm. And then that would get passed to another random person in the competition that you didn't, who didn't know who you were because uh, it was all anonymous and they would expand it out, you know, make it add to the game by another, you know, end up with something that's, you know, like around 2000 words. And then that would happen again. And the third person would kind of like finish it off. And the bare bones little weird thing that I submitted was this, very, very broken kind of experiment with some weird dice mechanics for an Avatar The Last Airbender themed game. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I I was like, okay, well, this is a thing I don't really care about too much, it's, but it's a cool idea I have. And if other people want to work on it, then that's that's a bonus. And then it got heaps of attention because the people that worked on it afterwards uh, took it in a really interesting direction where it was about the Republic as in Plato's Republic, because my original thing was about the, the five platonic solids um, and like the, the, the platonic elements. So they took it a step further and took it, made it about Plato more um, about, and made it about these like old 
dudes as members of a, like a kind of ancient Greek, ancient Roman society who had realized that it's horrible to their, to like women and people of color and all these sorts of things. And they're going to go and pull down the system. And it got heaps of attention because it's people like, that's a really, really shitty white savior narrative you got there. You know, like the old, the old white dudes go and save all the people of color and women and, and, you know, queers and sailor people. Mm. Yeah, I can see yeah. why maybe that didn't fly. Um, so it got a lot of attention. Um, uh, but, uh, and so afterwards when it was revealed who had worked on it, um, I talked to the other two people who had worked on it and was like, is it okay if I take this? And, you know, if we work on it, uh, like as a team to try and improve it. And those other two people were Mark Redacted and Vincent Baker, who, uh, who wrote Apocalypse Bold and, uh, and um, Dogs in the Vineyard and all of these other things, a person that I massively look, look up to and I was very starstruck. Um, and so, uh, so, like, Vincent and I back and forth on it a little bit and then I kind of took over the project um, as, like, the main person and I just, I had now had this thing where it was about being one of these oppressed people um, in, uh, in this like horrifically uh, striated uh, society. Strat- this stratified? Is, stratified. This horrible, uh, the, this, this society that thinks that it's very like honorable, but it doesn't realize that, uh, that it's only honorable to like the, the white abled cis straight dudes it, mm. it's like yes we have we're, equality mm. for everyone reminds me of it's australia <laughs> reminds me of a lot of things mm. um so it's about like and it's a game that explicitly says you can't play that that person right you can't play you you have to be a member of one of these uh marginalizations as a play a character uh it for in order for this game to work at all uh you can't be you can't just choose to be a good ally that's not a thing that exists in this, in this fiction. And so that's the game that like, and I released this into like public access just uh, like a, a month or two after the Trump election. Cause I was like, I, I was holding it to my heart being like, I need to work on this. I need to make it perfect. And then, and then I was like, no, the world needs this game, even if it's not finished. So, so we threw it out there. It's got some of the most, like wicked dice magic um, in it. Like uh, the way that the, the way that the dice rolling works in it um, to uh, to create the the feeling the uh, the, the feeling of the story um, is very much a magic trick where you're like, ah, I guess I'll choose these. Oh, that had a had a had an interesting response um, mechanically. There's there's a bit of obfuscation of how things uh, once you once you kind of grok it. Um, once you once you get it, um, you can play very effectively. Um, but it does take a little bit to be like, okay, this is interesting. It's giving me results that are in line with my story, but I don't entirely know why. Um, to start with, so I was very proud. Of, I was very proud of my dice mechanics. That kind of sounds. That, that kind of sounds like it emulates a certain story. Oh, a certain narrative about magic in fiction, like the idea yeah. of. There's this power I have and I don't really know how it works. And then after a while you're like, oh no, I totally know how this works. Yeah, exactly. So yeah, I'm, I'm very proud of, and the Re- Republic 
is again is still in early access. I'm not finished with it, but it's definitely a game that one of my more polished early access games is is definitely further along now. Um, and it's, it's something that we've been meaning to play on Insert Quest here. Actually, we just haven't gotten to it. Yeah, yeah, fair. Um, it's um, it's interesting because that's definitely a game that started out being powered by the apocalypse and ended up being forged in the dark. In it, it, like as in ended up having a bunch of forged in the dark mechanics in it. Mm-hmm. Um, I think those I think those terms are really interesting because to me the like as a designer it's just like oh well there's all of these tools that I now have that I can steal from other games because you and be like okay cool well now I'm gonna like if if you're playing a, a, a Powered by the Apocalypse game after having played Blades in the Dark and you're not using like progress clocks I think that's weird right if you don't just back install clocks into all your um, Powered by the Apocalypse games. It it I don't know it makes sense to me, but um, I first saw progress clocks in the sprawl actually, and that was when mm, I was like, mm-hmm. oh okay, this is an interesting way to track to do fronts in a way that feels more intuitive. Yeah, 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 definitely. I um, the sprawl was definitely one of the games that I uh, I was I guess reacting to um, mm-hmm. in 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 which we live and breathe. Mm-hmm. Because I was like, I, I like the sprawl is really cool, but it's not punk. Like it's not like the, there's, there's no punk in that cyberpunk. Like it's a really uh, cool game. I mean, I've I've felt pretty punk in most of the ones I've made, but then again, I've played uh, child soldiers trying to assassinate their uh, their are corporate jobs owns. From, are you taking jobs from corporations to do like against corporations? I don't know. No. Normally, I'm taking jobs from criminal organizations. Right, okay, yeah. Whereas, like, yeah, looking at the design from my perspective, I'm like, okay, if I'm going to write a cyberpunk game, it has to be entirely about, like, mm. actually going up against the, uh, these corps and, like, anti, uh, that anti-establishment, mm. build it yourself. Um, I don't know if you've noticed, but a lot of my games don't, don't, like, <laughs> don't like big establishment uh, I mean, I've definitely noticed it. <laughs> I'm familiar with your line. Um, yeah, yeah, no. I definitely, in my experience with the scroll, although I've not done a campaign of it yet, I've never been in a situation where I've uh, taken a job from a corporation before. It's always been like some other person I know or or it, or if it's like just been for money. I think I did maybe one where you t- where you were in like this kind of... You're in kind of like this new Soviet Russian situation with uh, with like it was like a one shot that somebody ran, and they didn't even have like the Matrix in it. They didn't have. Oh right, yeah. They had like shitty patched the phone in 1950s style weird data net thing, um, and uh, in that we were taking a job from a another state like my character was a south african mercenary that's really cool yeah (laughs) like his whole thing was like i don't care about these garbage people i just want to get out of this terrible country that my that i was stranded in yeah 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 i guess yeah um so yeah in which we live and breathe is a hundred percent my reaction to being like okay if we're gonna if we're gonna make a cyberpunk game let's make it actually cyberpunk mm-hmm. um so and like and it, this is one of the things is that i i really pour most of the time i really pour a lot of my beliefs into my games mm-hmm. so like in which we live and breathe 
is a game about like a being punks, being small people, making it yourselves, you know, wreck the system, wreck the corporations that that try and sell you your life. Hack um, the planet. Hack the planet, a hundred percent. You know, um, and like positively transhuman rather than all of this widget about like those um, all of the discussion about like cyberpunk 2020 and cyberpunk 2077 around like hum- losing humanity if you if you modify yourself fuck that noise you, yeah that makes you more human makes you more yourself I 100 um, agree yeah it, it very much the, what you're describing there sounds a lot like response to the fact that so many of the popular cyberpunk uh popular in terms of like mass market appeal yeah cyberpunk heroes are cops right and and so many of the popular to the public or to the to the populace at large cyberpunk narratives are about like are we losing our humanity it's like no next question yeah exactly 100 percent. yeah yeah, I mean, like, and that's that's the thing is that, like, I think it's important to, like, games have this amazing power to change people and to give you experiences that you haven't had previously and open you to, new, uh, to like, new perspectives. And it's kind of kind of a waste not to do that. Mm-hmm. So, like, you know, we have, we have, like, I have The Republic, which is entirely about, like, it, uh, opening yourself to the experiences of marginalized folks and also preparing putting people in the mindset that they can actually change shit. Um, right. Like you in the Republic, you spend heaps of time building up uh, at the start of the game, building up these horrible institutions just so that you are feeling real, real nice and angry and ready to tear them the fuck down and, um, in play. Um, I, and Melody and I have got a game called Goblin Heart, uh, yeah. because we saw all these other games about being a group of goblins and, being so crazy and wrecking shit and all this sort of stuff. And we're like, that's not what being a goblin is about. Like, uh, I don't know if you're familiar with Avery Alders. Um, she, uh, she wrote, uh, like a little goblin manifesto in a tweet. Um, about, I have not seen it. No. Uh, let me see if I've got, I might have a link to it. Give me a second. I might be able to read it to you. Yeah, um, here we are. Um, Avery Alder says, so for me, being goblin is a way of flagging that you want to include people not in spite of their sloppiness and uneven emotional growth, but because of it. Because goblins come as they are and, the, uh, and they grow in community with one another. Being goblin means being intergenerational in an unprecious way, that kids are part of the community, that their messes and tantrums and experiments and giggles all take place between our feet. It's about acknowledging disability and madness and trauma in a way that removes normalcy as our baseline. Everybody is a weird body and weird is good and accommodating one another's weirdness isn't just worthwhile and important and it's not, uh, um, isn't just worthwhile and important um, and it's not useful to frame it as noble or anything like that. Accommodating one another's wildness is the literal basis of goblin community. It's about how you nest. It's about how you romp. It's what goblins always and necessarily do. Um, so I've, I've, I th- that's really um, I see that as hugely inspirational. Um, and so, yeah, Goblin Heart is a game that we wrote where that is about that sense of community, about recognizing the value of, uh, of other player characters, um, you know, uh, because they're, because they are weird and, and cool and, and other, like necessarily a different thing to us. Um, and that, 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 
because they are a different thing to us, they're, that's why they are part of our community, right? If they were the same as us, then that wouldn't, then it's, it's less of a community because that's more just a group of people being the same. You're reminding me so, of, a, of a thing from Sense8, but continue. Yeah. So, so yeah, we wrote Goblin Heart and poured all of our feelings about that into it. Um, and then, like, uh, and, like, I 100% have games where, like, Antiquarian Adventures is just, like, uh, is just a game, because, uh, a game about, like, going on, like, treasure hunts in, like, old tombs and things. But, it def- but at the same time, it talks about the issues of Orientalism, um, the problematic nature of, um, of, tomb rob- uh, of like, the tomb raiding genre and, um, and like, Western collection of, of artifacts. Um, and those sorts of things. Um, it, it, it is a love letter to that genre, but it also makes a point of discussing it's, the problems in it. Um, I've often had the Western collection of other people's cultures thing bounce around in my head when I've thought about learning another language. Oh, right, yeah. No. Like I, I thought about learning, uh, I really wanted to learn um, Nahutl, the language uh, of one of the native languages of Central America or Mexico mm-hmm. uh, spoken by, um, yeah. And I was like, hmm, that'd be interesting to learn, but is it appropriate for me to learn it? And I've also thought about learning a native Australian language for a while. Yeah, an and it's another thing of like being language. like recognizing where your role as an enthusiast versus when your role as one of the like owners of that um, comes in. Yeah. So that's, yeah. that's really important. But yeah. I think it's really important that we as designers um, at least, like, think about these things, right? Mm-hmm. Think about, like, I get so frustrated when uh, when you go on, like, uh, like things like um, certain, like, role-playing game design forums and things like that on the internet, and people are like, ah, oh, yes, here's my role-playing game. I've, uh, like... Here are all my the things that I've thought about about I don't know how halberds guns, work halberds or guns or um, or like economic systems you know I've I've very accurately like I've made a system that very accurately represents economic systems systems and I'm like okay does it say anything about them or does it just show you what they are because I don't care about like the gold to like. Uh, the the gold to lead ratio or whatever it doesn't I, I don't care about the the all of those stats things I want to know what we're saying I don't want to know what we're talking about yeah. I play a role playing game because I want to look at the people and I want to look at their struggles and I want to uh, and I want to like have stories that are interesting and that I learn from yeah I'm the, like um, one of the things that is uh, that's a but the first first interview I ever did was with Caleb Stokes who made Red Markets, which is an economic horror game, and it's also sometimes sold as a zombie game. Um, like zombies in that game are like set dressing. The horror is capitalism. Like the apocalypse, mm. the apocalypse came, and everybody's dead, and you still have to make rent like you still you still everyone else is dead capitalism fine like we still have to endure capitalism um yeah 100 that game that game is very much a critique of capitalism i mean like i would 100 percent expect that like capitalism when we talk when when we we always talk about it as a system and i'm like Hmm. capitalism is one step above like it, it, as a power management structure for the uh, for for the world, 
mm-hmm. is one step above pointing guns at people, right? It is, it is like if, if having no economic structure at all is pointing guns at people, capitalism is like bacterial, like amoeba level of development. We can, we can do all sorts of other things, but like it takes active like work mm-hmm. for us to do that. Like, yeah. I, I live in, in I, I live in an eco village, and I see how much work it takes to to make those uh, those communities work. You're um, living you're living the solar punk dream. Yeah, I feel like if it were a dream, I would be less poor. That is fair. And like, I don't mean like poor as in like money. I mean poor as in like access to resources. Mm. Mm. That is that is an excellent point. Um, there was something, something else related to what we were just talking about, um, the, the pouring yourself into games. Um, mm. Something that we talked about recently on Quest Markers and that I, um, I've always sort of been interested in, particularly in the last few years, uh, especially after 2014, uh, and that is the idea of bias and also the idea that people think you can be unbiased and that there is such a thing as being unbiased. And, like, one of the first lessons I learned when I was learning ancient history in high school, admittedly, not exactly, like, super complicated ancient history discourse. But one of the things that we talked about a lot then was um, the fact that you can never remove your bias and you can't be unbiased. You can only try to mitigate your bias. Um, And in, in that regard, I really don't like the idea that people try to make games non-political or try to or or want artists to not be political it's like you can't be non-political that's not a thing and like a thing that we've often talked about on InsoQuest here is standing up for stuff and making making it known the things that you support and so like in relation to what you're talking about with games uh i think that 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 there's the that that intermingles with our own uh ideals over here so i'm I don't know. Oh yeah, a hundred percent. Like the, the thing is there is no such thing. As, yeah. You can't be unbiased because uh, um, like there, there's no such thing as not being biased because um, it, you are nothing more than your collective, like biases. You're a collection uh, like, of bias. Yeah. Right. Like that's, that's what, a, that's what a person is. Uh, mm. And like, that's always going to be a thing. And I think Kira McGran, uh, who also writes, uh, who's also writing an amazing cyberpunk game. Like my two favorite cyberpunk games at the moment are my one uh, and, uh, and her game sync, uh, which is about like nonviolent um, uh, cyberpunk, like community hmm. building. Oh yeah. Like, yeah. Community building like, stuff. I'm very, and like identity and things like that. So um, whereas like, yeah, and which we live and breathe is definitely the like, actually, no, let's go shoot some capitalists. Um, uh, like community building is still an element in it uh, because th- that's uh, like really important to like punk stuff and mm-hmm. like, um, but yeah, it is definitely a thing. But yeah, like, uh, she, she did a really good, one of her, um, one of her, uh, vlog posts was talking about the fact that like all games and game mechanics are inherently political because like, by when you write a mechanic, you're you're kind of just saying this is how things work, right? In this fictional world, but also what you're you're implying that they work in a similar way in the real world, right? Um, you're making that implication. You're saying, um, and so when you say, uh, when if you write a game where uh, 
if you write a game with racism in it and it's not explicitly called out as like being like a game with racism against like dwarves or whatever, right? And that's fine and you just let it sit there and everyone accepts that. Like you're kind of just saying to the people at your table, yeah, no, sometimes it's okay to just like be racist towards a group of people, right? You're you're saying that, you're not. Orcs are evil. It's okay to call people half orcs and half elves. Like that, that, that's perfectly a fine thing to say with your mouth. Yeah, a hundred percent. Yeah, no, I I like that whole thing of like, I I, I don't know if you, um, in which we live and breathe and also my, and also my, um, my dungeon world game, uh, Splintering Splintering Wheel, both have like sections that address like the the weird badness of race in uh in in like fantasy games because it's not it's not good it's, it's just real bad um yeah I so can't, they, we've ran a dungeon world game recently and i was like in the planning meeting i'm like can we not do the race stuff and everyone else is like i mean we're not going to focus on it and i'm like oh, all right whatever yeah <laughs> yep 100 percent. yeah and so like yeah uh, wow. in which we live and breathe just is like Describe your look. Do you have tusks? Do you have uh, do you have see through skin? Like it's the cyberpunk fantasy future. You could be an ogre wearing mirror shades with robot arms and roller skates for legs. I like. Now I'm just like, picturing cyber dragon. Just on loop. Uh, exactly right. Like why would we say if if we're talking about like the cyberpunk fantasy future, right? Uh, why would we say that person is an elf? That person is a is a goblin specifically, right? Like we use it. I use it. Um, I use terms like that for shorthand for NPCs, but for a player character, a player character, like um, we definitely want to make sure that like you're thinking more complexly about this shit. Like, actually, like think about like your character as more than just uh, uh, like a picture you saw in a, in a, in a piece of art and being like, actually, no, what's their, what's their complex background and, and why are they, you know, what's their history? What's the, what are their beliefs about these sorts of things? Are they, a, you know, are they a person who comes from like uh, a traditionally Western style, you know, magic and spells and, you know, religion are very separate or is it like, or is it merged together? Is there a, is there a difference between, like um, between say different kinds of uh, uh, different kinds of interaction with the supernatural is that more important the way that you interact with it? Um, it how do you feel about te- uh, technology? Is technology for you something that you find liberating, or is it the tool of the oppressor? Um, like, I really uh, I, I get frustrated about the uh, the way that. And this is the thing: we are required by brain by being creatures with brains to simplify. Mm-hmm. Um, that's why, like that is that is why the numbers exist in role playing games at all, right? The human um, the human mind is is more than a little bit predisposed to categorization. It can't possibly hold all the information that it deals with. That's that's not how it. That's that's a fundamental fundamental logical impossibility right it can't hold all the information about everything it sees because then it would have to contain it all mm-hmm. um it is required to simplify and to make models and to extrapolate so one of the things that i like doing is making people go okay 
I know that I have these models, but I want to stop and examine them and look at when there are exceptions and when there are things that bend those rules. Because it's because I don't have a problem with people saying that like male and female as a trans person, I'm like, I, uh, I don't have a problem with people saying male and female exist. I have a problem with them saying that that's all there is. Mm. Right. Like a hundred percent, like, Male is an idea that we and that a lot of that fits a lot of people. Female is an idea that fits a lot of people. It doesn't. That doesn't make it true of everything. Mm. Uh, it's really easy to be like, "Cool, it's summer, it's winter, it's spring, it's autumn." That works in a lot of situations. Doesn't work in every situation. Uh, if you go up north in Australia summer and autumn and winter and spring kind of lose their meaning, right? Like if you go into tropical areas, you don't, that, that, that model, while it was useful for most of your life is suddenly not helpful anymore. And you need to re-examine it. I have um, tried to learn the difference between dry season and like when dry season and wet season fall and have struggled. It has been a thing I've been trying to learn for a really long time because my dad grew up in Papua New Guinea. Yeah. Uh, yeah. 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 Back yeah. when Papua New Guinea was part of Australia. So yeah, I was born in Darwin, so um, so I'm uh, I'm you know familiar enough. But um, yeah, so I like I like the I like examining the way that um, and this is the thing, right? Like this is inherently political. What do you choose to look at deeply, right? Versus if, if you're writing a game that has um, you know lots and lots of combat rules, you're saying that combat is, uh, combat and physical violence is very important. Indeed. Right? You're giving power to that. Um, yeah. Uh, whereas if you're writing a game that has that really deeply discusses relationships, um, the power dynamics in relationships, whether or not those are being used appropriately or abused, you're saying that that's important because you're because you're looking at it deeply, right? And we're spending time and we're and we're examining it and we're making and we're saying. This is or is not, and and by by the way that we handle that, we say some things are simple and some things aren't. We tell we tell people it's okay to model some things broadly and that it's not, uh, and right. Hmm. So like, I I tend to go with you know um, a lot of very uh, I tend to go with at least modeling physical violence as simply, if not more simply, than most other interactions. Because to me, if violence is happening, right, like that's like that's we've already gone past the part where it's actually I don't care whether or not someone is stronger, has a bigger gun, all of those sorts of things, uh, and how, whether or not they know how to use them, what their armor class might be or whatever, right? I don't care about that, right? And so I don't want to look at it deeply. I want to be like, no, we should have been looking at this conversation before. Um, we should have been, we should have been, uh, we should have been looking more deeply at how we interacted as human beings before we got to the violence part. Because after we got to the violence part, punch the fucking Nazi. Roll one dice. Did you punch the Nazi? Cool, right? Like um, that. That's it. Um, uh, what happened as a result of that? Is the Nazi still standing? Punch him again. Um, uh, but. Um, it, it, that is the way that we say this is important think deeply about this this is okay. not important just move on 
Yeah. Um, I, I, I often use, not, the, not that example, but I often have similar discussions with people when I talk about, um, when I say that D&D is mostly about combat. I'm like, oh, no, you can do all this other stuff. I'm like, yeah, you can do all this other stuff. What's the majority yeah, the, of that? The, what makes up the majority of that book tells you what the expe- expectations of play are. Yeah. Yeah. And like how much time you spend on those things. The more, there's more mechanics on those, those things. So you spend more time. Everyone knows that if you run, uh, that as soon as you hit combat in D&D, everything slows down, right? I, because you're have... suddenly getting deep into these complex roles. And so we're spending literally more time looking at combat, right? Or in, an, uh, in another game, you know, in uh, Emily and uh, Emily McCallan, Luke Jordan and I have written a game called Between Dreams where like a lot of the time that you spend because of the mechanics is spent looking at like where uh, the like weird, um, slightly awkward uh, interpersonal moments. You know, we have a mechanic for spending time in comfortable silence, right? Mm. We have do you, a mechanic. Do you actually spend time in comfortable silence? Well, you play it out. Mm. You play it out like you do, right? Um, we have a mechanic for speaking a deep truth plainly. Mm. Um, we have a me- we have like yeah, of, we have all these mechanics for uh, for talking about like the how hard it is to to get close and stay close to a person, and we have one mechanic for. Uh, uh, for like if you get in a fight and there is no outcome for getting in a fight where you win, right? If you like, if you, if you, if you get, end up in a violent situation, you, you choose, do you curl up? Do you run, uh, curl up and get beaten up? Do you run away? Do you, right? Like there's no, there's no, and I win. That's not a thing, right? I don't, cause we just don't care about that outcome. Mm-hmm. Um, so we we want to investigate the like the deeper part of it, uh, the, the 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 part that we think is important in that game. Yeah. Um. Like. Yeah. And and have you? Do you feel like um, you've found an audience for those sorts of things? Because uh, an audience that shares the that is receptive to that message, I guess. I really. I mean, like, I am a an independent creator. Uh, who is a trans woman with not with who is also Australian and don't have money to spend on things. So I have a very, um, I have a, an amazing community around me and I have co- uh, connections to the like designer. Like I have amazing connections within the community of like game designers, especially queer game designers. And I'm really thankful for that. But at the same time, like, getting your games out there and getting and getting people to like play test them and like give you feedback is, is from my perspective, so hard. Um, like I, I, I said this is a couple of times, like for if, if you know someone who is struggling, having a hard time and, uh, and they're a person who create creates like creative work, right. Whether they're an artist or a writer or a game designer or anything like that. And you want to, and you want to support them because they've got, because they're sick or they're uh, they're just having a bad time. They're dealing with life events, all those sorts of things. You, one of the best ways that you can support them, is to engage with their creative work, and like, 
give feedback, like give response and right respond to it. Um, you know, uh, when people play my games and give me feedback uh, and say, we played this, it was really good. Um, you know, I enjoyed this bit. Uh, that is like one of the biggest supports that I, cause I, I struggle with, um, with depression and anxiety really badly. And so, um, and so like, that's one of the biggest supports that people can give me. Cause like, if you're, if you're not in the same city as me, you can't come and, you know, bake me a cake or whatever, or give me a hug and tell me it's all okay. Um, and like, there's only a certain amount of, I'm here to listen whenever you're, whenever you need someone to talk to online that, that can be valuable. Right. Cause like that at a certain point you, you talking doesn't help anymore, but seeing someone engage with the thing that you put care into and seeing someone, uh, and seeing someone enjoy or respond to the stuff that you put lots of time and effort into and poured yourself into, that's amazing. Um, and so that like I make, a, I make a bunch of stuff and every time I get feedback, uh, every time I, I hear someone say, Hey, I played this. Um, and you know, I liked this bit. I didn't, uh, I didn't fi- find this bit as like, as cool. We had problems with this. I'm like, Holy shit. Someone played, uh, played my stuff. That's amazing. So like I, yeah, I, I haven't found a, a big audience, um, for a lot of my stuff and that's, okay, and that's kind of okay. Right. Like, like, I'm not worried about it because I'm happy to keep making stuff mm. and I'm prolific as heck because like I, I can't help but write games, right? Like Antiquarian Adventures and Goblin Heart, the first version of those, like Goblin Heart was Melody and I sat down in an evening and wrote a role-playing game and it's been worked and it's been worked on since and been improved. Antiquarian Adventures was the same. I, we, I think we watched the mummy and i was like oh wait no i love this 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 genre i'm gonna go and write a role-playing game and i went and wrote the first version of the game in an evening right because like uh, i i can i can keep making games don't don't you worry about that and when people find my stuff it's they're waiting for them Mm. um i'm of a of a similar mindset i don't really care how many people my work reaches i only care that it reaches someone like uh, like like I mean, like I talk a big game about this. I still get depressed that I'm not like famous and and everyone loves me. But like, I at least uh, Emily, Emily, uh, who is um, my wife, is very good at this mindset, and I try and copy it from her. Mm. Um, but yeah, uh, that's 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 what I aim for. <laughs> yes, excellent. I I aim for similar things, but I. Hmm channel it from a different different space uh yeah, yeah. cool uh, and and so um i want to talk a little bit about your community stuff which is kind of why i want i set up that segue just then uh before oh, yeah. about the your audience and stuff uh which is like how have you how have you tried to engage your community and what are some of the things that you love about your community uh, yeah i think it's really interesting community is such an interesting idea to me um because like yeah, like we like we talk about like my community, right? And that's the, yes, and that, indeed. That, when really it's the community that you partake in. Yeah, like I there, I have a Twitch channel and I make content, and there is community around that, right? 
there are a bunch of people who come uh, come to my Twitch channel and hang out really often, and they're all super lovely. I have one of the best Twitch chats that I have seen. I'm incredibly thankful for the quality of uh, of like um, discussion and care and like um, that and like mutual respect that happens in my chat. It's very very beautiful, and I love I love streaming partially just because I like getting to be a, a part of that community. And again, the, and also like there are a bunch of people that I interact with, like that, that interact uh, around, you know, my stuff on Twitter and things like that. I, I specifically feel like, um, yeah, I am as a, as a streamer with people in my chat, I specifically feel like and aim for being part of community, not having a community. Mm. I haven't, for instance, a lot of tre- streamers set up a Discord uh, for their for their community, and I've specifically decided that I don't want to do that because that creates this like yeah kind of hierarchy thing that I'm that I don't dig and a responsibility in a weird way that I'm not super into. So. Um, as a result of that, right? Like I interact with my, with the people that I see a lot, right? My, my experience of community, my, um, through my Twitch chat when I'm streaming, but also I go into that, the, like a bunch of those people now also stream or were already streaming and I go and hang out in their chats. We talk about things in, uh, on Twitter. It's much more amorphous. Um, and that allows, for instance, um, what I want to do is when I'm in those communities, I want to be projecting my values um, about, you know, mutual respect, um, you know, kindness, non-tolerance of intolerance, um, those sorts of things. Um, and I want to project that out into the communities that I'm a part of, not declare those the values of a community that I am top down um, you know, declaring uh, mm. that I am being the boss of. And as a result of that, what that means is that those, those, those values that we, that like, you know, I project my values out, we discuss, uh, we discuss those things. They, uh, you know, um, I pick up values from members of my own community and we, we become, uh, we, we become, you know, more experienced in that stuff. And then, those people can go and project those uh, project their values, which have been influenced by, by the values that I care about in the same way that I've been influenced by their values and project those out into the communities that they're a part of and, and, and like, and subdivide into smaller, you know, communities where those are, uh, where those are value, uh, where those values are recognized and practiced because I, have I am a part of so many Discord things, communities? Is that what they are? Um, Basically, yeah, I'm a part of so many, and I and I don't go in any. I just don't because they're like the a lot of them I joined when they were very small, mm. and I could be a part of community there, right? I could know people and I could interact and all those sorts of things. And then maybe 
as that got bigger, I it dropped down to like a single channel in that Discord community and I could know and interact with and be a part of community in that space. And then it keeps getting bigger. And so like there's this problem where community inherently kind of, if you if you try and put it in a structure like that, it kind of stops existing as a thing. It by dinter, by by declaring community to be a structure, it will grow out of being a community and just be a structure. There's there's a concept, and I first heard it. Um, I first heard it from a friend who was talking about how you can't uh, you can't maintain more than you can't really be friends with more than like 250 people because that's how many people you can remember or whatever. And then I ran into it again a few years later when I read read the book uh, Sex at Dawn, uh, which talks which is an anthropological look at non monogamy and things like that, amongst other things. Um, a very interesting read. If if that's a thing you might be interested in, but um, there's a part in it that talks about how when a community grows beyond 200 to 300 people, it introduces anonymity, and when you introduce anonymity into a group, you start to have all of the bad things about um, large groups of humans start happening. But when you have that small number and you know everyone, good behaviour is inevitable. Because you know that if you don't behave well, everyone's going to know who, who it was that didn't behave well. Like you can't steal from someone in a community of 200 people because if you steal from someone, everyone's going to know who did it and then you're going to be ostracized and stuff like that. But it just, you, the stuff that you're talking about there about these Discord communities growing larger and larger and larger and people kind of getting, you at the very least, getting, getting sort of lost in them. Um, or feeling like it's harder to interact, I think that speaks to like an actual anthropological idea of how human beings build build a, build societies and things like that. And like like, there's a reason that a discord of like a thousand people doesn't feel necessarily as welcoming as a discord of like thirty, because yeah, you can and- you can track the in, the, the the social um, you can track the social connections within thirty people. Yeah, your brain oh, is built for that. Yeah, and like fun. the thing is that like I it, it's so frustrating being like there is this commercial requirement, right? There is a there is a capitalist requirement that if I want to if I if I want to continue to uh, receive the like some of the benefit of uh, of like monetary support for being alive mm-hmm. from being a streamer, I have to grow my channel. And in doing so, inherently, the larger number of uh, the larger number of viewership will create uh, that same effect. And so, one of the things that I'm working really hard on is making sure that, for as long as it's possible, I continue to practice this thing of you know, not, uh, not uh, of like yeah, amorphous community, mm. right? Of of, of uh, community that is that is permeable that that is not structured um so that um as my channel grows it's a supporting other channels that are smaller where there is where where the community can still be um uh like in a more intimate format and also that when we're in that larger format that we still remember how to practice community um 
amongst a potentially anonymous uh, chat hmm. because it's it, like you can you can you can one hundred percent practice community in a space that is um, that is larger than two hundred people, right? Yeah, like they, like you can you can walk down the street and you can practice community with you know people in your city. That is a thing you can do. The thing is that the space doesn't naturally encourage you to do it. Indeed. It, that's, that's the thing, right? Because you're not being given all of these prompts to practice community, right? The prompts of faces and names you recognize. In a community with anonymity, you have to, cho- you have to choose to be a good yep. member of your community. Whereas uh, in a community where there is no anonymity, you don't have a choice to be an asshole. You just can't. I think. I think it's. I, I think there's. It's not so much even the thing of like whether or not there are percussions for bad repercussions for bad behavior, but mm. there are. There are additionally more intrinsic rewards for good for good behavior in a smaller yeah. community. Um, and so, and, and also like you're connected to those people, and so like you don't yeah. want to you don't want to do bad by them because like you're you're emotionally invested in them. Yeah. Whereas if you have a larger community and everyone is actively practicing good community, despite instantaneous uh, intrinsic rewards, you will get the rewards of a good large community um, Mm. out of it. Yeah, no, Uh, I agree. I think that's a very good assessment. So that's, that's what I hope to do with my weird queer little Twitch channel where we talk about role, where we play role playing games and then, flirt with each other over people dying so in video games. much flirting. Oh my gosh, the, the people in my... That's, that's the... I love my channel, but oh, some of them thirsty. Uh, <laughs> I am a member of your channel and I agree. Yeah. Um, fantastic. I have a, another question uh, before mm-hmm. we begin our wind down. And this is a question that comes from a former cast member of Insert Quest here, um, who was helping me prepare for this uh, interview. Um, It's a bit of a goofy question, but I think it will be fun. Uh, Wilfred asks, if you were me, what would you ask you? Okay. Mm, Yeah. He, He said that with his mouth and I was like, that is a terrible question. I'm going to ask it. That's just a really bad question. Thank you for your help. I think I've been asked this in a job interview at one point. Oh, yeah, like, that's totally um, a job interview question. You're right. Like, what? All right. What do you um, expect us to ask you at this interview? What do I expect you to And then you're going to ask me, like, the opposite question, um, just to, like, completely curveball me. Um, what do you... What are your greatest weaknesses? <laughs> yeah, right. How could we destroy you? Mm. Um, I think if I were, I think if I were you interviewing me, mm. um, I would ask. Uh, I would ask about like the intersection of my queerness and the games I write. I'm not sure if I have a good answer to that, though. That's the problem. I mean, we've definitely touched a little bit on that, but uh, yeah. so what do you think about the intersection of your queerness and what you write, though? <laughs> um, yeah, all right. So I think the best, like, that's definitely uh, um, uh, like an element, right? Like, my queerness and my womanhood are the two, like, like my two, like, 
places from which I, 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 can, I can draw experience to talk about marginalization mm. in games. Um, um, as a trans woman, I, I, I'm like, I, I, have, I spend a lot of time being like, okay, what are the ways in which um, my experience of, uh, of marginalization is similar to or different to other, uh, other experiences of marginalization? Um, um, and like, I, I really enjoyed like discussions about that sort of stuff. Right. Mm-hmm. Like, um, if, we, uh, I've had really good discussions, um, with, uh, friends who are people of color about the like similarities and differences between, um, the trans experience of like being marginalized for your body, um, and, um, versus the, the, the racial experience of that. Um, and things like that. And, uh, but like they, what I try and do is I try and insert my, insert the, the, those sorts of queer elements into my games and then also leave space for those other kinds of marginalizations. Um, and like it, it was, there was this really interesting point where I was writing, in which we live and breathe. And I was like, yeah, this is queer cyberpunk. And I was like, it's only queer because I wrote it. I haven't actually put any of my queerness into the game. And it's not creating space for that um, specifically um, as a thing. And so I I went through and I put in like uh, specifically like mechanisms because I think that if you don't, if it's not in the mechanisms, the game isn't really specifically expressing things because it's right. Like that's where the, 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 the play of the game comes from. Um, you can have all the fluff you want, but the, but that can be discarded easily. Like that will be discarded as soon as it hits the play. Right. Mm. Um, whereas the mechanisms, Oh, what power it. And so, um, uh, and so I remember I wrote these two mechanisms, which were uh, about, um, dysphoria and euphoria. Um, so they are, which are in, in which we live and breathe about being seen. So when someone like recognizes your identity through your presentation, that Mm -hmm. has a mechanical implication. If someone makes assumptions about your identity through your presentation and then they're wrong, that's also bad. You know, if someone, uh, that, you know, getting misgendered or, uh, or similar, um, and I've tried mm. to write those as open to uh, I've written them about being trans, right? But I've tried to be write them as as being open to expression of other marginalization as possible. You know, right? Like um I I hope that those are mechanics that might be able to be interpreted through a lens of disability or race or um or anything like that. Mm. Um Whereas uh, the question from the like look section, uh, where is it? Um, uh, talking about like their appearance, combat boots and mirror shades and armored jackets, a very fine, sh- uh, a very fine suit, flowy bullshit and bird feathers. How gay are they? Like super or not very? Right. That's that's a specifically queer question, right? That's specifically about the queerness of. Um, of presentation in cyberpunk, right? Like 
In cyberpunk, if you're not a suit, you probably dress like a super queer, right? Most of them do. It's really Dish weird. Nets, like jackets with patches and paint all over them. It, it, people just do. They just like dyed hair. People in cyberpunk just all dress super queer, and I love it. And I just, I just assume that everyone in the future is super, super pansexual or something. <laughs> um, but yeah, and like. Uh, I write a lot of Roll20 sheets and I, and so like all of my games always specifically don't call out gender do other than the Republic, which where that's an, an axis of marginalization. Mm-hmm. Um, but right, don't say what's your, what's your gender. They say, what do you look like and what are your pronouns? Mm-hmm. Um, and when I do Roll20 sheets, I do a lot of Roll20 sheet development and I never, uh, Roll20 has this really good uh, thing where they where in their um, instructions for sheet create for creating character sheets for their system, they specifically say gender should be a text field, not, you know, a drop down or a, or a ready mm. button or anything. Um, but I don't even bother with that anymore. I just put in pronouns, like just a pronouns field done. Like that's useful, right? If I have a pronouns field, then I can be like, you know, such and such uses, you know, her ability, such and such. Mm. Right. If I've just got a gender field, I can't be like, you know, uh, Antoine uses, uses man, uh, fireball. That's not a field that I can use that's helpful, right? This is because I have the tech background. Yeah. I, I, yeah, no, I, I, I'm getting that. That makes sense to me though, yeah. But yeah. Um, but yeah, like I love Roll20 and I love uh, I love the integration of tech and, and role-playing games. The Republic has a specific mechanism for playing with an audience through Twitch or... Uh, and Roll20, um, like you can specifically do that, in which we live and breathe, uh, has a mechanism for where if you want to, you can post a job to to the real world internet. And then if someone else does it, then you both get XP. That's cool. Right? Like like if the if you in character go on your in character internet and then in the real world also go and post it on the real world internet and then someone else on the real world internet sees that job and then goes into in character on and in the in character internet is like, I found this job we should do. There's an XP reward for that. So that, um, that, that reminds me of, so what, we, what, we, what you just talked about remind me of two things. Um, one immediately was the, the, there's a game I'm working on that has made, that is about the power of magic and like why it's important to teach, teach magical people, moral issues, more so than it is to teach them safe spell practices. Um, like magic school should be about morality, not about technical skill. Um, and like in that game, you 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 to cast spells, you actually have to have you the player have to have a physical copy of the spell, or else mm-hmm. you can't cast the spell. And that that posting the job thing reminds me of that, which is another thing that more and more people are doing. Like more and more games have have a physical component to it. Um, there was one that you shared on Twitter a while ago. Oh, Footprints. Yeah. yeah where you- Footprints, Footprints is a game that I wrote that specifically requires you to, uh, to modify the game, right, as an artifact, you know, uh, print it out, put it in a, in a binder or something or, uh, or whatever, and you have to write on it and expand it. And so each, each instance of the game, each physical artifact is kind of it, it is almost entirely defined by the previous play experiences of other people who've played it um 
because the game that's there is a, it was a 200 word RPG. The game that's mm-hmm. there is like one small resolution mechanic and the invitation to add more, right? That's, that's what that game is all about. Um, and yeah, I love that. And that's, that was, that's the opposite of the like tech thing, but I, I love it as well. Right. Like what is the game other than the, than the physical artifact? Um, so that, that's, that's really cool as far as like, I, I like thinking about making and making games that operate outside of the standard Dungeons and Dragons paradigm. Um, yeah. I have a game called Oracle, a game called Oracle that is played entirely with cards, right? Like your character is a, is a hand of cards. And you use a, you use card shuffling to to to, to determine outcomes of uh, actions and things. I um, have I have a magical resource management RPG that is kind of similar plan oh. to use tarot cards. It's a it's it's a resource management RPG is how I describe it, but it's particularly about um, how do you make the best of a bad situation. So like, mm. I'm a yeah, I'm I a I'm a swords mage, but all I drew was everything but swords. It's like, well, how are you, how are you going to use this mana that you can't use? Yeah, I wanted to get ahead of the tarot card role-playing yeah. game trend. It's and about to become result, really popular. And as a result, I have written a game that does not use tarot cards. Yeah, <laughs> uses I, cards. I came up with the idea to do it, and then like, I saw a bunch of people were working on it. I'm like, I'm going to... Ins- Instead of being bummed that my idea isn't as original, I'm going to be glad that it's not going to be as big of an ask for people to have tarot cards. Oh yeah, definitely. Yep, definitely. Yeah, I mean, I, yeah. So this is the thing, right? Like, like, uh, I ha- so in which we live and breathe has has weird stuff for being online. So does the Republic. Uh, Oracle is cards. Footprints you want to write on it. Goblin is in a trench coat. You play on Twitter. Uh, Goblin heart you play with like weirdly large numbers of dice and also works with like weirdly large numbers of people. You can't play it online because people end up yelling too much. <laughs> I, like, yeah, that's definitely a, a thing I love playing with is like, what is it like, how much can we stretch the form of like role-playing game? You know, the, yeah. that's, that's like, a thing that I am increasingly becoming more interested in as well. Yeah. I am designing a single scene RPG at the moment that is about being gods and having sexual interactions with one another. Like that is going to be the mechanic. I really like Melody Watson's uh, 280 character role-playing game that was about, uh, that was just a single scene with a kiss. Um, Mm -hmm. And then you, yeah, we talked about that in our interview and that was an inspiration for my own game where I'm like, yeah, can I make a game that is about gods making love? And can I make that a real game that people will play? Can I fit it on a business card? That's I what mean, I'm do. can and you can you make it a game that people will play is a different question, but yeah, I don't really um, care if people play it. <laughs> I'll play it. it. I mean, this is the thing, right? Like role playing, like game design does not have to result in play. Yeah. Game design, game design can like, and this is the thing is, is is part of the reason it's political, right? Like, is you can just talk about stuff through the lens of game design. Mm. Um, that's a hundred percent a thing you can do. Yeah, you can be like, I wrote this game about this stuff. You can't actually play it, right? There's the zero player role playing. Yeah, I was gonna say there's there's a there's a there's one that's about like destroying the ecology of a planet, and that's a mm-hmm. no player RPG. And I really want to do an actual play of it. Yeah, no, a hundred percent. So that's 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 the thing, right? Like role playing games, role playing games have points. They mean stuff. So we should take them as a format 
and we should explore all of their possibilities and use them to communicate and like help each other be, be more understanding, be better. Um, I love talking to people where they're like, we need to embrace all of the cool things about games instead of like, we need to play these two RPGs in Pituitum. Yes, definitely. <laughs> I think if you play those two RPGs in Pituitum, you've, yeah, that's how, I mean, like, you I mean, have it's your fun. Own fun. It's fun. You have your own fun. But that sounds boring to me. Yeah, indeed. It's yeah. like it'd be like playing the one, the two, two video games forever, or watching two movies or two TV yeah, exactly, shows, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Oh, well, I feel like I could keep talking to you for ages, but I, <laughs> we've already gone eleven minutes over time. Well, that's uh, not my fault. That's your fault. No, that is one hundred percent my fault because I'm like, this is so good. One hundred percent my fault. Uh, so. Yeah, indeed. Fantastic, fantastic. It was wonderful talking to you. It was wonderful. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, where can people find you online if they want to find you? Yeah, all right. Um, In particular, uh, people- where can they find you online? Like, <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't want to – you don't get to know where my house is. Indeed, um, not appropriate. No. Uh, people can find me online on, like, most services at CGIAC, A-C-E-G-I-A-K. Um, including um, a cgac.net, which is my blog and like has all my games there. You can find all of my games there. Um, uh, most of them are on are available for either free download or purchase. I think, in fact, I think all of them are available for free download. Some of them, uh, and like you can purchase them if you want and have money. But I don't think I have any that are only behind a paywall. Um, uh, and yeah, you can find me at a CGAC on Twitter, on Twitch. Uh, if you want to uh, watch me run role-playing games, play role-playing games, uh, apparently flirt with people while I play video games um, and, you know, talk about community stuff. Um, I'm on Instagram and Tumblr, but not as much. Um, and also I have a Patreon, so uh, patreon.com slash A-C-G-I-A-K, A-C-E-G-I-A-K um, which is specifically for my game design work. So um, I post previews and things like that um, to that, you know, as regularly, uh, at least once a month. Um, there's something goes up there with, uh, with you know, a preview or um, some, some new game design thought. I just finished... Uh, I, the other day I posted a really fun thing, which is uh, like a a nice little uh, set of GM moves to like fall back on when you forget the GM moves for the PBTA game you're playing. Um, oh, wow. So That's I, an interesting design. Yeah. yeah I was, I, I was like, okay, I always like, I, I always like forget what the GM moves are. So I, I was like, okay, I need like an acronym that I can use to remember like five important ones. So nice. acronyms are fun. Yeah. Uh, Fantastic. Yeah. And I but think if you're, yeah, if you're having trouble finding um, Ashton's Patreon, I'm pretty sure that the insert quest here, Patreon also supports your Patreon. So you can, you can actually see what your Patreon creators <laughs> support. So you could, Oh, I didn't know that. should be able to, f- that's how I find but Like sometimes you'll see that your Patreon creators are looking at some weird stuff. I, I support a bunch of not safe for work. Patrons, including <laughs> melodies, and I am unashamed that yeah. insert quest here yeah. does that. Um, Absolutely, I'm pretty sure that you can do that, and I'm 
also pretty confident that I support uh, your Patreon. But uh, yeah, you can find find that, and we have our own Patreon where we post uh, we post quest markers every month, which is a podcast where we talk about everything that's happening at Insert Quest here, things that take my fancy, and also we talk a little bit about our personal lives where relevant. Uh, this month is going to be unique in that there's going to be two quest markers episodes because there's more stuff that I want to talk about, and it's my birthday, so I'll do what I want. Damn straight. <laughs> um, and you can also find more interviews like this one, including the one that we mentioned earlier, the interview with Melody, we, uh, the interview with Caleb Stokes from Red Markets. Um, we actually have two interviews with Caleb now because he also has another game out with his friend Spencer. Um, we've got interviews from DC, designer of Mutants in the Night, um, and a bunch of Australian designers. Um, and lots of lots of fun, cool content uh, over there. So you can check out all of our interviews. Uh, and uh, hopefully you enjoyed this one. So if you did, please leave us a comment. Let us know if there was something that you thought we could have done better or if there was a question that you had for Ashton or for myself. Uh, perhaps we can forward that on uh, and let us know what you thought. Other than that, though, thank you for listening, uh, and farewell from the past. I'm Ray. <laughs>